Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Look out. It's all the films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a piccolo, and I love films. As Voltaire once said, it is not sufficient to see and know the beauty of a work. We must feel and be affected by it. And that's why I go to bed with a copy of Showgirls every single night. Oh, makes sense, Voltaire, fair enough. I guess a lot of people didn't give it that kind of weight. Every week, I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, Jamila Jamil, and Ricky Gervais, but this week, my wonderful special guest is the amazing comic, actor, writer, producer, everything, Mr. Rob Delaney. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get 15 minutes extra chat, more questions and a secret from Rob and you get some video of the lovely man too. His secret this week is uh, fantastic so join me over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Rob Delaney is an award-winning comic actor writer superhero in his own right. I was delighted to record this over Zoom. It was such a joy however it was a bit of a technical disaster with multiple interruptions and some things wrong with my connection all sorts going on. However my amazing producer Buddy Peace. I think, has pulled it off because he's amazing. And I think we just about get away with it. And the chat is too good for anyone to notice, I hope. It was such a lovely time with him. I don't think any of the technical stuff will matter, but I'm just letting you know I'm aware of it. Okay, so that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 107 of Films To Be Buried With. Welcome to Films to be Buried With. I am joined today by an award winner, an actor, a writer, a stand-up, the first person to use Twitter for funny and the first person to use Twitter for good, a legend, an icon, a national treasure. Why not? Please welcome to the show, the brilliant Rob Delaney. Oh, thank you. Wow, that was a lovely intro. I don't know who you were talking about. <laughs> it was you, my friend. You. <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing the show. Um, I have to tell the listeners that I've put, made Paul Rob wait about 20 minutes to try and sort out <laughs> some audio. He's been very polite. His children <laughs> told me a joke. It was excellent. <laughs> and here we are. Now, tell us, 
Well, firstly, let me tell you, I told you off mic, and now I'll tell you on mic. I watched your stand-up special, Jackie, on Amazon Prime. Barney. Oh, thank you. You're very kind. Barney stuff. Really enjoyed it. Um, how long were you in the making of that? I mean, some of those jokes were a few years old, and then some of them were uh, a few weeks old, you That's know? That's exciting. But uh, yeah, I toured that around England. I can't say the UK because I only <laughs> toured England because I have little kids. So mm-hmm. I uh, and I'm not like a road dog, you know, so I go out like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every other week. You know, mm-hmm. my agents will be like, how about weekends? The time when people go to see stand up. I'm like, no, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> That's the high, that's, that's the, the like battle zone of parenting. That's the parenting Olympics that happens once a week. So I have to be home for that. (laughs) But uh, I had a great time touring around England and sleeping in my very own bed in London every night. That's Um, the way to do it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Touring around the south and southwest of London. Did you, (laughs) (laughs) did you, speaking of parenting Olympics, how is your lockdown pandemic going I mean, well, first, uh, no one even, not only did nobody die, nobody even got COVID-19. So that's massive. That's very good. Um, So grateful to be able to say that. Otherwise, you know, my kids are nine, seven, and one. So it's been pretty intense, you know, like the one-year-old thinks it's the greatest thing that ever happened because we're all home. The nine and the seven-year-old are like, why are we only with you hairy old people? I'm talking about my wife and myself <laughs> and this baby. Like kids that age really need to be in school. And so uh, there have been good parts and there have been bad parts. Uh, but I don't know. You know, like it's like a lost year academically for kids. Uh, but it's not a lost year educationally. Like they've learned a lot about grit how to overcome boredom, you know, solving, you know, once a century pandemic problems, you know, that crop up every hundred years or so. So like trying to look on the bright side and, you know, I can't say anything about it without saying that we're in a vastly more comfortable position than most people. So, yeah. So also, yeah. So underline everything I've said with who cares, who cares how it's been for me. I do. And what about you as a as a creative and a performer and all of that? Are you are you writing at home? Are you are you missing performing? Oh yeah, I miss performing desperately. I miss the collaborative. Like I remember when I, I started writing Catastrophe uh, with Sharon Horgan, I was like, oh my god, this is so much more fun than writing alone because I'd written a book right before that, <laughs> yeah. which I really hated. <laughs> Did you? Uh, Yeah, I liked the revisions, like once the editor read it and was like, hey, what if you did this? Or could you elaborate on that? You know, once it was into like the, you know, uh, rewrites, you know, what you would call it if it were a TV show, then I really enjoyed it. But I, working alone, I used to think that I'd be like a a solo flyer when I was like in my 20s and thought I was cool. But now that I know I'm not, uh, (laughs) I like people and I like to work with people. So I really look forward to both doing stand up for a live audience, you know, being on a set, you know, actually taking something that I've written and turning it into something with other people. So, uh, yeah, miss all that desperately. I've gotten a little bit done, but I, I vacillate from being like 
incredibly ashamed of myself for how little I've gotten done. And then whenever I do get anything done, I'm like, <laughs> look what this hero extruded from his soul. Um, so I, I'm pretty average, I think, for the sort of comedian writer type person, you know, vacillating between the two poles, never, never at balance, never at peace. Had you acted before Catastrophe? A little bit, but nobody really cared. I had right. to hire myself as an actor before anybody was like, oh, he's fine. I guess we'll put him in our thing as well. Uh, yeah, so I acted some, but it was not until I acted with my own words that people were like, oh, he's, I guess, yeah, he'll be fine. Oh, we can't get <laughs> Matt Damon. Uh, yeah, sure. Call, yeah, call him. We call have, these three we... people and then call him. <laughs> I'm sure you talked about this, but I... I'm interested. Were you in, were you intimidated when you started testing? You were filming with Sharon, and she's a lot more experienced uh, yeah. in that area. Were you nervous in the beginning, or was it like, no, no, I know I'm doing? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, I felt like my writing chops were, you know, I was. I'm I'm hemming and hawing because I want to say proud. I'll just say it. I, I looked at the scripts and I was like, I like these. But then I would act and I'd be like, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. He is not good. And then. Uh, yeah, totally. So uh, but then over time, I began to, to grow in confidence and realize, you know, it's it's one of those things where the more you do it, the better you get. Like, yeah. I think any moron can act yeah. uh, and like any moron can become proficient at saying things in a reasonably believable fashion. Yeah. Um, but it does take time. I don't think anybody really hits the ground running with acting because it is, it is one of those things where you have to learn all the rules and then forget them. You know yeah, what I mean? You've yeah. got to, so to develop the comfort in that crazy environment, of lots of people being around it being utterly fake, having to do multiple takes to be able to seem like a human being having, you know, relatable emotions in that weird maelstrom does take time to develop. So over time, I think I I've, have gotten there, but in the beginning I was like, Oh, too bad. I'm the actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're absolutely brilliant in it. Oh shit. Rob. Oh fuck. <laughs> I forgot to tell you something. Okay. Oh, shit. Oh, boy, I should have, I should have told you this up front, but I didn't because I'm an idiot. Oh, I'll just have to, I'll just have to, oh, I'll just say it and then, okay. And then we'll, <laughs> I'll say it. Uh, you, you've died. You're dead. You've died. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> how did you die how did i die my god i don't know i hope i mean like i hope uh after a nice uh, meal with oh, yeah? my whole family oh. uh like i'm with I'm with my whole family and then i leave because i forgot something at home mm -hmm. and then uh, a big industrial air conditioning unit uh that was on a crane being lifted over a road fell on me <laughs> so i died instantly the corpse is unretrievable i mean it's just yeah. like hamber it's like a thin red paste because mm -hmm. what fell on me was so big mm -hmm. so uh had a great time went home to get i don't know a newspaper clipping why is it it's 2020 why do i were, get a clip because you were planning a anyway. hostage letter exactly okay. uh my family and i had kidnapped someone <laughs> and then uh yeah so i'm really excited because we've kidnapped this person and uh and then the thing fell on me and i died yeah that's how i died 
you'd be amazed how many people say that. <laughs> I'm not joking. Uh, what, I, I would like to know what your last meal was then, I guess. Uh, nothing, not like, it wasn't my favorite because I didn't know I was going to die. So it was just like a nice uh, angel hair pasta uh, with meatballs. Oh, and I, I had a nice salad, a, a nice rocket-based salad, a nice spicy rocket. How old were you and how old would you like to be when this happens? Uh, 82 is fine. Okay. That's pretty nice. Dead in the street. I mean, annoying for the people waiting for the news, newspaper clipping to be brought back, but I yeah, guess they, be... they never, my family's so upset they forget to do the ransom <laughs> and the person just starves to death in a basement <laughs> in Croydon. <laughs> oh now, Rob, do you worry about death? We talk about death a lot on this podcast. Do you worry about it for yourself? No, I don't. Uh, I, my family would be sad, uh, so I'd be—I'd really be worried about them. So just for them, I'd like to stay alive for a very long time. Okay. Uh, but you may know that uh, one of my sons died uh, a couple of years ago. So yeah, uh, my feeling is like I don't necessarily believe that we'll like be reunited in some physical, you know, uh, Judeo-Christian paradise location where we'll get to like corporeally hang out i i doubt that in fact i hope that isn't true because i think that would be very boring um for everyone who's been dead for more than a half an hour they'd be like okay wow this is a lot like earth so (laughs) but I, i know that when i die i would get to experience what he experienced and thus uh share something with him so i don't want to die anytime soon but when i do let's do it baby i really uh i'm not worried about it at all uh in fact i look forward to it yet i hope it's uh, decades into the future man that's uh that's very well that's very touching that do you do you do, do you have a, a kind of thought of what the afterlife is if you don't think it's sort of bodies hanging out together i don't i hope that it's way 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 beyond my imagination you know, like I, when I think about like, you know, capital G God, because I grew up, I went to a Jewish nursery school. I grew up in a very Jewish community, but I, my family's Catholic. And then I went to Catholic school. So I had like Judeo-Christian God uh, history, folklore, whatever you want to call it, belief, you know, that I marinated in uh, through the early part of my life. And the way that that was described didn't really work for me because I just don't want God to be something that like we can imagine how boring, you know, they say, you know, God created man in his image and man being a gentleman returned the favor. Like the idea of imagine a God with like an ego, imagine a God that wanted or didn't want, you know, so I don't believe in a deity. So hopefully we really can't even imagine what it is, you know, but yeah, I hope that it's so beyond us that we can't even imagine. Like if my, just anemic, cluttered, horrible, tiny human imagination has any idea what happens next, then it must suck. So I'm <laughs> super at peace with not knowing what happens next. Um, and But I don't think it's bad because it's going to happen. So it's probably, you know, fine. Mm. I think that's right. I think that is, well, what do I know? But I do think that's right. I think uh, it's meant to be beyond our brains, isn't it? Anyway, I know everything you've been through and I'm so so sorry for it and i i can't you i can't imagine i don't know how anyway but i also imagine that changes your outlook of the bigger picture in a huge way that it does yeah um we don't need to go into but anyway i have love for you there is a heaven and it's better than your little brain could have come up with oh good because it has a vcr vcrs everyone there's obsessed with films and um 
in this heaven, they're obsessed with films. And all they want to know about is your life through the medium of film. And the first mm-hmm. thing they ask you is, what is the first film you remember seeing? Yeah. And for me, that's The Wizard of Oz. No shit. Yeah. That's your first uh, film. That I remember seeing. Yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, crazy about it to this day. I often get angry that uh, whenever people talk about Gone with the Wind, I'm like, do you know that the same director made The Wizard of Oz that same year? I mean, I guess his name, which I can't remember, is like Vincent. I'm surprised I can't remember. I think he took over for Gone with the Wind because back then it wasn't as important who directed it as who produced it because they had way more power or rather kind of control over the shape of the film. But because Gone with the Wind, I hate Gone with the Wind. I mean, I really think it's a mess and long and bad. But Wizard of Oz is amazing. I mean, it has everything. It's like scary, even if you're an adult with the mm-hmm. flying monkeys and melting witches. I mean, the, what it captures in the id, you know, uh, of like human fear and the elements and the music. And it's just amazing. What was the circumstances you were watching it? Do you remember? Like, was it at home? Were you with family? Like, Yeah, it would have been on our TV. It would have come on television on a Sunday afternoon or something. And uh, so we would have watched it then with commercials. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a little town outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I've watched it with my kids. My little sister watched it. She was five years younger than me. So I watched it and then she watched it. We didn't have VCRs when I was a kid. So it was just what was on the table. But we did by her childhood. So by the time she was young enough to or old enough to want to watch it, she could watch it again and again and again. Uh, I didn't have that luxury. Uh, I grew up at a time before petrol and uh, <laughs> flight uh, and, and, and video, home video technology. But uh, yeah, just the best, Wizard of Oz. Lovely. What is the film that scared you the most? And do you like being scared? Love being scared. Do you? Uh, yeah. As a kid, for me, it was uh, a film that it came on TV. I think it wasn't a VCR rental. I said, Dad, can I watch this with you? And he's like, I, it's going to be scary. I know it's going to be scary. And I was like, yeah, but I want to, please. And he was like, all right. And, uh, and this is a film called The Island uh, with Michael Caine. Uh, you know, a mid-tier, mid-to-low-tier yeah. Michael Caine film. Basically, it had some modern pirating going on. And uh, what happened was a guy, like a a canoe with like a tarp over it, like bumped into his nice sailboat. And he looked over to me. He's like, hey, what's this? And as he leaned over, a guy pulled over, pulled out the tarp and came and just buried a hatchet deep in this guy's forehead. And I'm super young at this point, like maybe six or seven. And um, I lost my mind and was like, why did you let me watch that? And he's like, I told you to go. I I shouldn't have blah, blah, you know. And I slept for months afterwards, fully encased. Like I'd wrap myself up like a burrito on the sides and the top and the feet. Like I I, like sewed myself into a blanket, (laughs) like so I couldn't breathe. And um, that was the first film that scared me. And you still like being scared. Yeah, oh God, I love it. Yeah, I mean, like Midsummer. my oh, wife and yeah. I loved that. We saw that. That was like a, such a great date for us, just uh, joyously. Really? Yeah, we love horror movies. My wife began to use horror movies um, like therapeutically mm-hmm. uh, when our son was in the hospital. 
just because nothing that any filmmaker could conceive of would be as terrifying as what was happening to us. Mm -hmm. So I think it was almost like how you'd give Ritalin to an overactive kid or something like we would relax with horror movies. And um, so Ari Aster's uh, the the Ari Aster double feature of hereditary and Midsummer, Midsummer in particular, uh, very, very helpful for us. We actually went and saw Midsummer with another friend of ours who had a child die uh, no, I'm sorry. It was hereditary. And yeah, yeah. Uh, the three of us were just sitting there laughing and having a good time while the rest of the audience was like, what is wrong with these people? And we were like, quite a bit, quite a bit is wrong with us. That's so, uh, I mean, I, I have talked about this on the podcast as well, but you would be amazed. Uh, look, I've had a hundred comedians on this. I reckon eight of them say they like scary films. Most of okay. them hate it. Most of them hate it. Oh, scared. can't get enough. Yeah, me too. And I and and then I read this whole thing this week. Someone sent me like you were right about science, like genuine psychology science, uh, that, uh, that it's good for you. That horror is good for you, and that it's a it's a way of uh, dealing with the terrible yeah. things that happen, the thoughts you have, and the fears of death. And yeah. uh, one film I found super therapeutic was uh, the first Safty Brothers film. Am I saying that? I don't know how to say it. Yeah, yeah. It's Benny and Joe. Good Time. I love Good Time. Uh, yeah, me too. Because that one's like so tense. So uh, stressful. <laughs> it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre level tense. And then at the end, I was just like, oh, all that stuff I was just watching and feeling, that wasn't happening to me. <laughs> oh. And then like sleeping like a baby. <laughs> That's funny. What about the film that made you cry the most. And are you a big crier? I love when a movie makes me cry. Yeah. That would be a tie between Brokeback Mountain and The Elephant Man. Oh, what a double bill. (laughs) What a heartbreaking double bill. Elephant Man, David Lynch is one of my heroes. Mm -hmm. And it is so magical and insane that he made The Elephant Man after making Mm -hmm. a Razorhead and that Mel Mm -hmm. Brooks... That it was mm. Mel Brooks's idea. It makes me love Mel Brooks even more than I already love Mel oh, Brooks. Yeah. And I read, um, I just read David Lynch's half autobiography, mm-hmm. which is really mad <laughs> and fascinating. Yeah. And there's his story of making the Elephant Man is like he, you know, he was very young and he'd only made this basically student film. And he went to London and I think Anthony Hopkins was a bit of a dick to him. I think most of the actors were a bit like, who's this fucking American kid mm-hmm. coming here to make it this English story? And he said he walked through this street in London and he found this street that was like an old Victorian street. And he says, he says in the book, and I felt this wind rush through me and suddenly I understood and could see all of Victorian England. And then you watch the film and you go, yeah, I believe you. Uh, yeah. I think you got it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I remember watching that um, in a little cubicle. I would have been about 18 at uh, NYU mm-hmm. and getting getting it out of the film library and watching it and just weeping in, you know, <laughs> a public library. Uh, People got, you know, with like pretty girls around. And I'm like... <laughs> um, so beautiful. Really good film. Uh, yeah. And Brokeback Mountain... Okay, so Brokeback Mountain, just these guys, my God, the pain of this secret Mm. that they have to hold is just unbelievable. And it's really weird because, like, that film is just so brilliantly made in every possible way. 
I, I, that I think it just would speak to anyone, you know, like I yeah. happen to not be gay. Okay. But I, sometimes I wonder like, did it hit me so hard because of like alcoholism, you know, mm-hmm. like, cause I remember, I'm just trying to think like what secrets have I held on to that hurt so much. And I remember like getting sober and finding out that the just horror that I felt inside of myself and like had a name and like might even have a treatment, the unbelievable relief that I felt of feeling like, okay, now people are going to know what this is. Like so many people didn't already know, but (laughs) I was trying to hold on to it so tightly. But I, I, you know, of course that movie resonated with people who are not alcoholics and who also aren't carrying around uh, deep, dark secrets, you know? But I, I think you're right. I think everyone has a, has a, thing there they feel shame or they feel darkness in themselves and yeah, yeah i really love that so really how, how old were you when you got sober 25 okay nice and i'm, I'm 43 now for those people listening who aren't uh, my mom <laughs> um, congratulations yeah thanks. um tell me this what is the film that People don't like, it's critically not acclaimed, but you are like, you guys are dummies. This film's a masterpiece. Uh, one film that I don't know why I saw it, because I can't imagine I would have rented it. This seems like a dad rental. Uh, Rising Sun with Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes, nice. based, yeah. based on the Michael Crichton book. <laughs> yeah. um, so that film, first of all, if Wesley Snipes is in it, I watch it. So I don't know that I really need to defend this choice, but the film is just like, it's quite boilerplate. And uh, I guess just the interplay. I mean, they're an odd couple. Um, Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Like they don't have that organic free song that uh, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson do in uh, <laughs> lethal weapon. You know, they're not, but Hey, if they don't team up to, uh, take down the Japanese caricatured bat guys, you know, then I don't know what they do. Um, so uh, yeah, there's just sort of darkness. Oh, there's a little sexiness. Uh, uh, yeah. Just that movie was fun to me. And whenever it came on, I never turned it off. Uh, amazingly that came out the same year as a, as a genuine Wesley Snipes masterpiece, uh, demolition man, uh, with Sylvester Stallone. But, like, that's not a guilty pleasure. That's just a, that's an adulterated, pure pleasure. Everybody loves Demolition Man. <laughs> right, and Sandra so. Bullock. How could we forget Sandra Bullock? No, we mustn't, we mustn't ever forget her. <laughs> what is the film that you used to love? You loved it. Mm-hmm. You've watched it recently and you felt, oh, no, this does not hold up for me for whatever reason that might be. Spanish Prisoner. Uh, oh, by the David, David Mamet. Mamet. Yeah, Steve with uh, Steve Martin and um, Campbell Scott, Campbell Scott and David Mamet's wife. Oh, it's crazy. I think I might have seen that like twice in the cinema when it came out. And then my wife and I watched it recently and um, just utterly sucks. You oh, really? know? <laughs> yeah, oh, no. it's really um, a weird, stilted, halting mess it would be a good short story because it's just a little gimmick you know yeah i don't remember it's, it's all twist 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 isn't it? it's all like con, yeah yeah like con job. 
Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be a fun, um, like, O. Henry adjacent type story, <laughs> short story. But uh, in David Mamet's hands, it wasn't a good film. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, what's interesting is I think David Mamet, theoretically, he wrote one of the, his students wrote one of the only good books on acting, mm-hmm. uh, which is called um, Practical Handbook for the Actor oh, okay. um, by the Atlantic Theater Company. That's a good, simple book. Because a book, you can't learn how to act from a book. You just have to do it again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this book is the thin, thin volume that is worth a shit, you know? What's, I mean, your, like, what's your main takeaway from that book? Oh, like, what would this mean for me? How do I get what I want? You know, what am I trying to do here? Mm-hmm. You know, that's all. Yeah, that's it. That's acting. You know, if you <laughs> want to put on a funny nose or learn how to go cobble literally like daniel day lewis in italy before you make i think he did that before the crucible you can do that too that it won't hurt your performance but uh you know i mean like tom cruise is really one of my favorite actors because he doesn't really chameleonize too much in between roles but since by all accounts he's insane That's really great for acting, you know, uh, or like Nicolas Cage, because they utterly believe what they're doing. And as a result, so do you. You yeah. don't want you might not want to have lunch with Tom Cruise, but God damn it. I bet you want to watch his movie and jump up and <laughs> clap when it's over. Yeah. Um, so, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Rob Delaney, comedian, actor, writer. What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily because the film itself is any good, but because of the experience you had around seeing the film that will always make it special to you. Right. So I came up with a, a negative one for this. I hope that's okay. Of course uh, it is. I bet a lot of people are like, you know, oh, well, I first met Lucy and we held hands. <laughs> yeah. No. For me, there's a film called uh, Instinct with. Anthony Hopkins and I think Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. And um, it's a uh, real, really hot garbage. And I happened to be, I, I lived like in downtown New York mm-hmm. in the late nineties. And um, I had some meeting up in Harlem. I don't even remember what for. And I got up there quite early uh, or like, I don't know. I had two meetings in Harlem or something. So, there's a two hour window that I've got. Right. And, um, it's raining. So I'm like, okay, I gotta go to a movie, you know, and, uh, hear my little angel bells. Um, <laughs> you got your wings. 
<laughs> so I've got uh, two hours to kill. It's raining. I'm in a neighborhood I don't know well, so I don't really... I'm not able to duck in just anywhere and I can't explore the lovely neighborhood because it's raining. So I got duck in an instinct, Anthony Hopkins, Academy Award winning Titan, Anthony Hopkins and Cuba Gooding Jr. Who he might've also won an Academy Award at that point. So, you know, you're thinking, all right, we got pedigree. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the movie was so bad that I walked out even having paid for it. And at this point I have no money, like whatever the $7 it cost me Mm -hmm. to buy the ticket, like was an important $7. And I was like, nope. I just left and I just stood in the rain for like the last like 70 minutes. I was like, I'd just rather get rained on. And then I went to my second meeting wet because that movie was such (laughs) unbelievable trash. (laughs) Oh, second runner up. Yeah. Meet Joe Black by Martin Brest uh, with, again, Anthony Hopkins, who, of course, I love like anybody. But he's done some turkeys. Uh, yeah, Micho Black was so bad that I actually saw it at a screening at NYU and Martin Brest was at it and I had to like run out of there because I couldn't in, be in the presence of Martin Brest because I would he would have been like, any questions? I would have been like, that sucked! And they would have been like, not a question, please leave. Um, <laughs> any questions? Why? Why all of it? Uh, can you explain the thing I never understood about Micho Black? Maybe I've said this before, but I haven't said it in a very long time if I have. What I don't understand about Meet Joe Black is basically the, the message, which, I, okay, Meet Joe Black, she meets a guy, she mm-hmm. falls in love at first sight. He then gets yeah. hit by 25 cars that takes about yeah. seven minutes. He's <laughs> dead. Death comes to visit, yeah. dressed as, looking like the guy she fell in love with. But yeah. it's not the guy she fell in love with, right. it's Death. Yeah. She then falls in love with Death. Right. But death then has to go back home to be in death. So death yeah. then leaves, but as a tree, yes. sends back Brad Pitt, the original guy, and they get together. But the guy she's fallen in love with is not this mm-hmm. guy. It was death. But right. he just looks the same, and it doesn't yeah. matter. And at first I was like, what's the fucking message this? And then I was like, oh, the message is, if you look like Brad Pitt, anyone will love you regardless of your personality. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's inside. And then I yeah. thought... That's it. The perfect myth. That makes sense. That's yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, that's very valid in this world. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I retract everything I said in Masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is the film you most relate to, Rob Delaney? I know that they're like big, famous movies, you know, but the fact is, is Train Spotting and Requiem for a Dream. They're not my favorite movies. Yes, they're good, but that's really what alcoholism and addiction felt like for me. Like I watched those movies and I just like, (gasps) like really uh, felt that I just remembered this as well. Mm -hmm. Even more than those was the two towers. Um, (laughs) The second one where Gollum splits in two and there's a good one and a bad one and they're like battling each other. That is actually better than train spotting and recommend for a dream at capturing what it felt like for me to be in the throes Mm. of alcoholism and addiction. I should also say, I don't really like the Lord of the Rings movies. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm just saying they don't really speak to me personally. Those massive tentpole Mm. event, you know, billion dollar budget movies rarely 
tickle me on the inside. It's not a value judgment. It's just me, my genetic makeup. However, when Gollum splits in two, I was like, I feel that. Um, <laughs> I'm double Gollum. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the best bit. And then another one, and this is so embarrassing. A chorus line, the movie, yes. uh, is a billion, jillion percent what it feels like to get started in entertainment because the odds are so against you. You have to put out like the purest essence of who you are and just have it spit on and slapped around. So if you want to know what it's like to have to like make your bones in the entertainment, a chorus line is stop one. <laughs> if you can't handle that, then definitely don't take the ride. <laughs> were, you, were you always doing what you're doing, like from university onwards? So I, that's what I went to college for. I, I went, I studied musical theater at university. Why aren't you doing musicals? I'm actually in talks right now. I'm in the most serious talks yet about doing a West End musical. I won't say any more than that, but uh, the right thing may have come along and we're, we're talking about it. Um, I speak for everyone when I say, <laughs> yes. Yeah, dude, I'd be pretty thrilled. Um, oh, and I can't say what it was, but I actually pre... This wasn't because of coronavirus. It was because... Disney bought 20th Century Fox, Mm -hmm. but I had gotten a huge role in a huge musical and then Disney bought 20th Century Fox and was like, just put it on the shelf. So I'm trying to get into musicals. (laughs) Um, So I'll keep you posted. But um, yeah, no. So I did that. And then my final year of university, I went and saw some comedy and I was like, oh, screw musicals. I want to do comedy. (laughs) And then I had a detour because of drinking Mm -hmm. um, and in being in America where I needed to get you have to sometimes you just have to shoot a dream behind the barn and kill it because you have to get a job that will has benefits so that you can get health insurance. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how America works. Yeah. So I had, I uh, thought for a few years in my twenties, like, Oh, I guess it's just not going to happen. Cause I have to work at this shit factory to get health insurance so that I can afford things like surgery should Mm -hmm. I need it, which I did after the car accident that I was in when I was 25. Mm -hmm. So then when I was uh, 30, is that right? I was like, I'm doing it. Screw it. And uh, I uh, just said, yeah, I'm a comedian. And um, the rest of the world was like, no, you're not. And, uh, or at the very least, we're not interested in what you're peddling. And I was like, uh, I'll show you. And, uh, you know, then some years of hand to mouth. And then over time, it has worked out. Um, thank goodness. Um, here we go. This is probably what everyone's been waiting for. Rob Delaney, mm-hmm. what's the sexiest film you've ever seen? So I have two answers here. Sexiest ever. I think it was like 17 mm-hmm. when the film Sirens came out. And uh, oh so per- the perfect age. And you've got Elle McPherson, mm-hmm. Tara Fitzgerald, um, all these women. I remember like 
Elle McPherson talking in interviews, how she like gained weight for it, which like, hello, like, and, and, and just, so yeah, I mean, for those who haven't seen it, it's basically, it's like a fun, it's a good movie with a tremendous amount of nudity where Hugh Hugh Grant as a, a minister and his wife, Tyra Fitzgerald are sent to deepest Australia to, start a church or something and then they have to like tame this wild artist who likes to paint naked women and son of a gun if they don't wind up getting tamed but um (laughs) i mean it's a bright airy lovely like women like it it's not you know it's it's not (laughs) um exploitative or anything but Mm. uh yeah the uh, thread count is uh low if you know what i'm saying (laughs) and so i remember seeing that at uh age 17 and being like i really want to spend some time in australia Mm. uh and this is a special time for me seeing this film i imagine uh, a future where i'll be renting it uh not infrequently (laughs) and uh so i would say that was the one for me what was your second uh, second uh-huh. one? Oh, this isn't the sexiest, but it is a recent sexiness where I watch and I'm like, come on, man. And that's Mrs. Incredibles, but in the Incredibles, uh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, and especially when, whenever she like, like complains about the suit being tight or whatever, I lit, I'm like, yeah, that it is. Um, <laughs> Yes, it is. Yeah, it is tight. This is incredible, you know. And I'm like, give me. I mean, it's just the that butt. Come on, man. You know, I'm trying to watch a movie with my family, and you're just yeah. parading this butt around. What are you doing to me, Disney? You know, this weapons grade butt. Um, <laughs> um, well, the subcategory to this question is traveling boners wearing wider. Uh, film you found arousing. You weren't sure you should. Is your answer the Incredibles, or do you have a different answer? Oh, I'm sorry. That was it. Oh, that yeah, was right. right, right, right. Uh, that was it. The Incredibles. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, That's a very good answer. I mean, I don't, I, I don't believe in like shaming people for their desires or whatnot. So I'm not actually embarrassed about that. But I am guessing the animators weren't like, yeah, let's make this 43 year old be like growl at the screen while he's watching a family <laughs> with his one year old wife and kids. You know. <laughs> Um, oh boy, uh, Rob Delaney. What is objectively, objectively the greatest film of all time? I think again. I think that for me, the greatest in that having the evoking the widest range of emotions from the most amount of people, the greatest objectively, I think, is The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, because it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It's musical. It's um, archetypal. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so. It's a very special film and you don't really look at it and you're like oh you know there's no parts that are like threadbare like you can look at aspects of uh star wars you know Mm -hmm. a new hope and be like all right okay and then you know but you can't really do that with with wizard of oz it's also Uh, profound the thing of the wizard behind the curtain the little man behind the curtain oh yeah you know that yeah that holds up that holds up in all aspects what is the film you can or have watched the most over and over again. I think that those that would be um, out of sight. Oh, I love out of sight. <laughs> yeah, and Lost Highway. Oh, uh, Rob Delaney, yeah. two of my absolute <laughs> favorites. Now, uh, let's start with Lost Highway. Yes, please. I don't think it's the best David Lynch film. No. It's just the one that I've watched the most. I feel like you can 
a dip in and out of it maybe a little better than certain films of his because there's episodic aspects you know mm-hmm. and in terms of his sort of dualistic i think trilogy because the films where you've got like this guy is the side of that guy or they're both is is blue velvet lost highway mulholland drive right yeah. Like there's an argument to be made. He made this. He told the same story three times, three different ways. Great. More people should do that yeah. if they're as brilliant as him. But with Lost Highway, I think since it's actually literally a different actor playing them, and uh, just all the different vignettes with like the cowboy, the cowboy at the ranch. Oh no, that's that's, that's, that's Mahalan Drive. Okay. I'm sorry. No, Lost Highway's devil, got the mystery man. Devil on the phone. Yeah, yeah. the phone is. Um, and, um, you know, the house that explodes and the saxophone and, uh, you know, Pullman and, uh, and a crazy, uh, what's his face? Uh, Getty. Well, <laughs> uh, if you haven't for, uh, read any interviews, like recent interviews of him, you really have to, he is so out to lunch. <laughs> um, yeah. In a terrible way where like multiple generations of billionaires, money have just made it impossible to be a real person right but uh he we, he did fine in this one film yeah so just crazy crazy about that movie and then out of sight i, I would submit is pretty much uh like a rosetta stone for understanding the language of film mm. not that soderbergh didn't break a whole lot of new ground with that film and the films he did leading up to it. But it's a wonderful sort of way to, to begin to understand film the way that he made that. Plus you can feel the kinetic energy of it and the camera work. And you, if you want to, you don't have to because it's a totally wonderful propulsive experience that pulls you right along. But if you want to think about how it was made, you can kind of see how the sausage was made. Like you can feel the camera, you can feel the quickness, you can feel it's like assemblage. You know what I mean? and the way that it plays with time. So it almost like shows its work in a way that rewards repeated viewings. So that's out of sight. I mean, just, I think I sort of put a button on that last thought. Also out of sight is one of the sexiest films of all time. Oh, just tremendous. Tremendous. Yeah. Um, I love Lost Highway so much. And yeah, it's like, it's weirdly, I was trying to find it because I wanted to show it to my girlfriend. It's quite hard to get hold of. It's one of his films that sort of, Got lost a bit. It's brilliant, Lost Highway. Mm, love it so much. Yeah. Okay, what's the worst film you've ever seen? Um. Okay, so I mentioned Meet Joe Black earlier because yes. I couldn't wait to talk about it. That was <laughs> terrible. And, of course, there's, like, worse low-budget films and student films, but with that kind of money, you need to – your film has to be good. And uh, so that's why I think, you know, higher stakes, sometimes higher failures – and it could be this could be an example of um, how like I thought Spanish Prisoner was good in the cinema when I yeah. was young, and then I saw it recently and it sucked. Maybe this film is good, but in the theater I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Was the End of Violence by Vim Vendors? Uh, I just remember being uh, Gabriel Byrne, Bill Pullman, mm-hmm. uh, Andy McDowell, yeah, um, and Vim Vendors, right? I mean, and and I just remember being like, "Well, this is such a mess." And it had all this like philosophical voiceover. Mm. And I just remember thinking, I think I've just seen the worst movie I've ever seen. I think I actually saw it in France. I lived in Paris in 1997 and 1998. Really? And yeah, I saw it in Paris 
and like Paris is the best movie city in the world because they have all these repertory movie theaters. Mm-hmm. So you can be like, oh, it'd be great if I could see Lost Highway at 2.50 p.m., you know, three miles across the city from me. And you probably can. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, but I remember seeing so many great movies and then just seeing that turd ball and being really turned off. And uh, as such, as a result, never investigating the world of Vim Benders after that, who people love probably yeah, yeah, with yeah. reason. He's probably great. He's but done. that film was so bad that I was like, no, just shut the door. He's like Anthony Hopkins. He's done a lot of good and a lot of bad. Yeah. You're in comedy. You're very good at it. What's the film that made you laugh the most? Yeah, so comedy, uh, I don't know. There are lots of good ones. But what made me laugh a lot recently is uh, the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, which has been not getting good reviews. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But um, what I liked about that movie was that, yes, it starred Will Ferrell. But in fact, he has a lot less screen time than you'd think from a film billed as a which he also wrote. So I think he was quite generous with all the supporting performers. Uh, Rachel McAdams is amazing in it. And then Dan Stevens' performance is one for the ages. I could not get enough. Have you seen it yet? No, I've not seen it yet. Okay. Yeah, so Dan Stevens as um, the Russian entrant into the Eurovision that they're following is truly out of this world. And it's funny because the only thing else that i've seen him in is downton abbey Mm. and um the first season of downton abbey i my wife and i snorted up like cocaine couldn't possibly get enough of that glorified soap opera really crazy about it and then it sort of dropped off for for me again not a value judgment if i don't like something that doesn't mean it wasn't good it just means it didn't speak to me personally Mm -hmm. But so he was like good in that as the romantic lead guy that one of the sisters fell in. You know, he's just like handsome and fine, you know. Uh, But then in this, he has comic chops that are deadly. Like, for example, like all I can say is you and I would do well to spend a lot of time in the comedy gym before we prepared to meet him in a dark alley. He, I mean, I, I've seen stuff as funny, but not really. I, I don't think I've seen a funnier comedy performance. I mean, it's wow. out of this world. Holy shit. And the film does move at a different pace than a lot of comedy. So I understand that it might cause consternation with mm-hmm. some stupid reviewers. But uh, I, I reviewers love Reviewers always hate comedies. Comedies almost universally are shitted on by critics. I think critics never get comedies. Yeah, it's like one, but, uh, in, one in 20, they'll go, oh, I get it. And it's always fun to see, because some, some serious actors have a hard time with comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll tell you this, Rachel McAdams and Dan Stevens have an easy time with it. Um, <laughs> and so I was super impressed by them. Obvi- of course, Will Ferrell's funny. That's no surprise. You know, we're used to him being amazing. Uh, but these guys hold their own and I'm just great. incredibly impressed. I don't know. I don't know Dan Stevens. I've never met him, but I, I actually wrote him a message and was like, good God, you were amazing. <laughs> like the way like an old man might do in old so Hollywood. Nice. I wrote, I throwed off a note. <laughs> I dictated a mash note to my gal Friday. And... You stole the show in Deadpool too. Correct. How much? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> how? Uh, I mean, you really started showing Deadpool too, and it's really impressive as well because 
you're really not in it much. I mean, what are you in it for? But you're the thing that everyone remembers. Yeah, yeah sort of a like a vignette. Yeah, that was incredible fun. Yeah. And I was shocked for such a big movie how nimble they were as a production. Oh, great. Uh, so... You know, Ryan Reynolds is the is the driving force behind those films. You know, mm-hmm. he co-writes them with Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, and then David Leach directed it. Even the studio, 20th Century Fox, who made it, the, everybody there was just really like, hey, let's try this fun thing, you know? And so I was amazed how much it felt like a... Like a do, being on the set of Catastrophe. Like, hey, let's oh, give this great. a shot, you know? Because some bigger films don't feel that way. You know, you're mm. kind of slotting into uh, something that they reverse engineered to include all these different uh, set piece action scenes and whatever. But this was just great. They were like, yeah, let's have some fun. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think might be funny here? You know, oh, and uh, it's so collaborative and fun. I, I can't say enough positive stuff about everybody who made that movie. So, yeah, just we had, we had a lot of fun. Right. Rob Delaney, you've been amazing. And oh, thanks. This has been great. With... Now, the thing is, when you were having dinner with your family, you were 82 years old, you were all there, you had a lovely time. Uh, you yeah. had the, the hostage in the basement, you were like, oh, you said to the family, hey, you, by the way, you just had angel pasta and like marinara, <laughs> nothing, nothing special. Yeah, yeah. You were like, I need to get newspaper clippings so that we can cut out hostage note mm-hmm. for the thing. You walked outside, you walked into the road, industrial size air conditioner on a crane just being moved from one house to another dropped just dropped by accident splattered you pancaked no one even knew you were that flat into the road but i had a a hunch because i remembered the podcast and i went along and i was like oh and they moved the air conditioning unit and i was like look at the fucking statement basically you were road so i then had to get a uh, digger dig up the road around you. You were filled, you were half tarmac, half man. So I st- had to chop up all the bits, stuffed it all in a coffin. But the thing is, I brought a coffin that was your size. I hadn't brought a coffin that was you plus tarmac. So it you ended up... Yeah. yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was absolutely packed. It was packed in there. There's really only enough room in this coffin for me to slip one DVD down the side for you to take to the other side. And on the other side, every night is movie night and one night is your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone on the other side? I think before midnight. I'm sorry that I just said that. It's okay. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of the films I've mentioned, Before Midnight, Strong Candidate, Out of Sight, Strong Candidate. You can take I'd Before be Midnight. No one's, no one's taking it, and it's brilliant. Okay. Uh, Rob Zane, is there anything you'd like to tell anyone to watch of yours, to look out for, to listen to, <laughs> before we say goodbye? No, I mean, everything that of mine that will be released has been, you know, paused because of coronavirus. So uh, the most the recent thing would be my stand-up special, which you could watch. Um, it's good. on Amazon Prime in the UK and the US and everywhere. Rob Delaney, I think I speak on behalf of everyone when I say, A, this has been brilliant and thank you. And B, I really hope that everything works out with the pandemic and everything so that we get to see you in a musical on the West of the Oh, Space. thanks, man. God, I do too. That would be great. That'd be so great. Um, <laughs> thank you for your time. I'm going to stop the recording thank you. now. Have a wonderful right. time on the other side. Good night. <laughs> thank you. So that was episode 107. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 15 minutes of chat, secrets, and some video with Rob. 
go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's very nice to read, it helps numbers, and it means Maureen can keep drinking craft beer forever. Thank you so much to Rob Delaney for doing the show. He was amazing. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Shout out to Scroobius Pip. Happy birthday. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics. Lisa Leiden for the photography. Come join me next week where my very special guest is Doris herself, the wonderful and amazing Natalie Tenner. So that is it for now. I hope you will have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.